Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You will have the Bibles in the seats in front of you, so do pick that up. Uh, We're going to look at that and a bit earlier on in the letter to the Ephesians as well. And a bit later on, we might have a bit from uh, Philippians at the end of the service. So um, I've been wrestling with what to preach on this, uh, this Sunday. What would be the best thing to say and I had various things going on that I thought would be good to share I thought I might talk initially I thought I might talk about the generosity of God and the generosity of God's people one thing that I have learned very clearly about St Thomas's is that the people of God who are St Thomas's are very generous they're generous in their time you know how generous St Thomas's is there's a way of finding out how generous St Thomas's is the way to do it is when you go into the gents' toilet. Now, half of you, more than half of you, are never going to experience this. But the generosity of St. Thomas's is, can be easily seen in the gents' toilets. Because in the gents' toilets, when you're washing your hands, you don't have just one fan blowing, but you can do this and put your hands under two different blowers. And it only dawned on me this week, that's just generosity, isn't it? I think you're not meant to use both because that's like the treasurer will go nuts because you're using double electricity. Um, I'm just looking up the back, he's sitting at the back right now. And... Uh, but, it, it, you know, I did wonder why are there two, two fans there? And I thought, I'm just putting it down to generosity. St. Thomas just really wants to help people and look after people. But we're not going to go there. We're not going to think about generosity. Let's take it as fact. You are generous and we love you for that. But what I thought we would talk about, and this, this was goes, going way back, was to think a little bit about uh, what Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4. And the title would be this. Now, Not quite yet, Miller. I've been wrestling with what to say. Some of you will know I was away this week um, at the Church of England Evangelical Council down in in, uh, outside London, north of London. And I I went down by train. I used my old person's rail card. It's very exciting having to show my old person's. I know it's impossible. How can you have an old person's rail card? 
I was waiting for the, um, the uh, person on the train, you know, the guard, to say, oh, that's not real. <laughs> didn't happen. Nor did it happen when I used my bus pass uh, yesterday on the bus. That didn't happen. Anyway, I'm on the train, and I'm thinking, I think what we'll talk about is the unity of the body of Christ. That would be really good. So I'm kind of preparing... Uh, on the way back, I'm kind of preparing and thinking, right, Lord, what do you want me to say? And meanwhile, sitting opposite me on the other side of the aisle are two young women who spoke literally for four and a half hours, the length of the, they didn't stop at any point. They just kept talking and talking. And I'm going, oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about unity and the importance of unity. And all the time I'm getting more and more angry. I'm texting Ali and saying, they haven't stopped talking. I mean, I can talk. I can talk for a long time. They talk nonstop about nothing for four hours. How do people do that? Some people would say women do it all the time. I would never say that. So it's been a bit of a wrestle, and it reminded me, actually, for humanity to be united, we make it difficult for one another, don't we? We make it really difficult because of the things we say and the things we do. The same is true in church. It's not always easy to stand together as one. And so, because of that, it's good that we look at Ephesians 4. So let's do that together. Now, again, just to make things really simple, I thought I was been wrestling with it, and I had put together all slides and PowerPoint, and I had th- everything lined up at ducks in a row, and uh, it was put into the folder that the techies have to use to... Uh, download the stuff so it's ready to go here and ready to go online and then at four o'clock in the morning I woke up and I had this thought in my head that it wasn't quite right in fact it wasn't right at all and the slides were all wrong and they needed to be dumped and it was being it was being too complicated and unnecessary so I um bitched it all and redid the slides and the techie team love me when I do this on a Sunday morning, when I say like 10 minutes before the service begins, actually, did you get the slides that we did, I did this morning? And generally the answer is no. But hopefully these will be the right ones. I'm sure they will be. Um, so we're going to think about this. Here's the title for this morning. This is a, the word for us this morning is this. Two words, be one. You could take that as the message, the whole message of Ephesians, be one, as God is one, be one. So I have three things to think about this morning, three things for us to look at. The first thing is this, and it's a warning. The second thing is a challenge, and the third thing is an encouragement. So first of all, a warning. Open your Bibles up, and if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now where's the warning in that? Well, the first thing is to understand, there's two warnings actually, first thing is to understand that being a follower of Jesus Christ is not always easy. It's going to be costly. In Paul's case, he's in Rome banged up in the jail as he writes to the Ephesian Christians. Some commentators, some uh, theologians look at Ephesians and they don't like some of the language and they try to suggest that this wasn't written by Paul. 
It was written by someone else. I think there's plenty of convincing evidence in here, including that idea that he expresses that he is a prisoner for the Lord that points to this being written by him. He is a prisoner for the Lord. The cost of being a disciple of Jesus can be very great. We live in uncertain times. We do not know what lies ahead. Being a follower of Christ is not an easy option for anyone these days. If you're in the public eye, you may get taken down for professing your faith. We know politicians who have declared their faith very publicly are very open and very honest about it. And that they find themselves being pilloried, being given a rough time because they own Christ and Christ owns them. Now, we're not quite yet at the point in this country where people get banged up in jail for being a Christian. But there are people here this morning who know that that happens in other parts of the world. Folk experience persecution and folk experience the pain of being a follower of Christ. So there's a warning for us here about that. The day may come when actually owning Christ might be quite painful and might be quite costly. Whether you're in the workplace, whether you're out in the community, a time will come, might come, when we have to count the cost. One of the things that it has been an honour to be part of over the time that I've served here is a, a willingness and a recognition that sometimes it is not easy to follow Christ, that sometimes we have to stand up. We have to stand up and speak openly about who we follow and what we believe. And that sometimes causes trouble. Being a Christian is sometimes inconvenient and uncomfortable. It's very easy for us to become comfortable, isn't it? Um, I keep saying when people are asking me about what we're doing next, that I keep saying this, I give this answer when people say, why are you moving? And I'll, I'll say, someone asked me that question yesterday, and, and they were a bit sort of surprised by it. And part of it is because it would be easy to remain here and to be comfortable. You are great people. You're, it's a great church to be part of. But I think the Lord has decided in his wisdom to make me a slightly, to make us slightly less comfortable than we have been and to stretch us. Paul knew what it was to be uncomfortable. He was in prison. The Lord has not asked me to be in prison just yet, but watch this space. Who knows what lies ahead? So that's the first bit of uh, warning. Watch out. The Lord may call you to do something that is very uncomfortable. Remember that Paul was being used while he was in prison to witness, to write, to encourage the church. But there's another warning in here as well. In the second part of verse 1, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Some versions of this use the expression to live a life. They use the image of walking. To walk in a manner that is worthy. To walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling you have received. The calling to follow Christ. The suggestion is there that it's possible to walk in a manner that is unworthy of the calling. To walk in a manner that is destructive. To walk in a manner that is damaging both to you as a person but also to the witness of Christ. 
Paul's trying to encourage the Ephesians, and remember, he knew the, uh, the church in Ephesus well. He's trying to encourage them, probably because he's hearing what's going on, that they need to live, a, live their lives in a manner that is worthy to walk the talk, in other words. The danger for us, the warning for us, is for us to ask ourselves the question, am I walking the talk? Am I doing the things that God wants me to be doing? Am I doing, am I professing the faith in a way that is appropriate? Am I being open about my trust and my discipleship and my following of him? It's a real danger for us that we don't do that. And it's particularly seen in the relationships of the church. That's why Paul goes on to talk about the unity of the church, the importance of standing together, standing firm together, but remaining focused on the gospel of Christ, to gather around that. So there's a warning here for us in 2024 as we look at who we are as a church. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be a church that's willing to count the cost? Are we going to be Christians who are willing to count the cost? Are we the kind of people who are walking the talk as we go through the Christian life? It's not simply an intellectual ascent of faith, but it's actually an active and living and life-transforming faith that we exhibit. So there is a warning. Secondly, here's the challenge. As we go on in verses 2 and 3, it says this. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. See, there are two kinds of unity that we read about in, uh, in, even in the letter of Ephesians. There's the unity that has already been given that needs to be maintained. We read about it in chapter 2. I read it at the beginning of our time together. So if you look at, it's just on the page, the previous page, in chapter 2, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So there is a unity that has been gained with God through what Jesus has done on the cross, his dying on the cross for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world, a unity that was broken has been restored. There is an opportunity to know and walk with God. What a glorious message this is. What a wonderful message it is. The barrier that sin puts between us and God has been broken down And the unity between God and human beings has been restored. What we were designed, created, made to be is real. So there is this unity that has been attained, but Paul says you have to maintain it. You have to maintain that unity. You have to work at it. You have to put effort into it. That's why in chapter 4 he says what he says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You've got to work at it. Unity isn't just a given. It's given by God, but we so easily break it. It's much easier to break it even now in this day and age. You know why? It's because essentially so many of us have become narcissistic, selfish, You know, what I think matters more than anything. We need to listen carefully to what one another says. Now, all of that is important. We do need to listen to one another. 
But actually, the trouble is sometimes in church that everybody's got an opinion about everything. There's some things that we like and some things that we don't like. I'm going to have to uh, experience that again in a few weeks' time as I just negotiate a whole bunch of new people and just see how that goes. A church that's maybe uh, not had someone in my role for, more, for four years. There will be a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes that I, I will need to listen carefully and try to discern what is going on and try to work out how to bring unity into that kind of framework. Your job here will be what, how are you going to maintain the unity of the church? in the months and the years to come? How are you going to gather around someone who you give the role of rector to uh, and be unified? And it's going to take great determination. It's going to take some effort. Make every effort, is what Paul says. Not just one or two. Don't just, not just, don't just try it for a little while. You've got to keep going and make every effort. You've got to train hard. And he gives some clues about how to do it. Did you notice that? He gives some clues about how that would work. In verse 2 he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. I wonder who your favourite Premier, English Premier League um, manager would be. Many of us, I'm guessing, will think that Jurgen Klopp is pretty good. You know who Jurgen Klopp is? Liverpool manager, who announced this week that at the end of the season, he's going to give up being a manager of Liverpool. Heartbreaking for Liverpool fans. He's been an amazing uh, manager. He's led his club to win the UEFA Super Cup, the Premier League, the EFL Cup and the FA Cup. He's an amazing, amazing man. But he said this. Um, uh, he said this about himself, about his ego. He's always tried to keep his ego in check and put his players first. This is what he said. The problem is I'm a Christian. He said this to Gary Lineker. The problem is I'm a Christian. And so I think other people can have success too. It's not about me. What a great line. It's not about me, says Jürgen. He wants to see other people built up. He wants to see other people being successful. He recognises he's only the manager. It's the players that get the job done at the end of the day. But I think his faith has taught him not to focus on himself. It's not about me. Do you remember Diotrephes we learned about last week? We were looking at the third letter of John. Diotrephes and what was said about him, who seemed to be like a good guy, seemed to be like a good Christian guy, was a church leader. But what was said about him by John? He loves to be first. He loves to be first. That isn't going to cut it. It's not going to work in the economy of God. Klopp said this, to be a believer but not want to talk about it, I do not know how it would work. He told a German interviewer, if anyone asks me about my faith, I give information, not because I claim to be any sort of missionary, but when I look at me in my life and I take time for that every day, then I feel I am in, I love this, then I am in sensationally good hands. See, Klopp seems to be able to look beyond himself, to look to God and realize that he, God is his judge and that he is in his hands. If only we were all like that, that we weren't about ourselves, but we were about serving God and serving others, there would be a great deal more unity in the body of Christ. So there is a challenge here for us, a challenge here for all of us, how do we get unity? Paul, uh, Paul says very clearly, be humble 
and be gentle. Be humble with one another. Put other people first. Listen to what other people are saying. doesn't mean that they're right all the time. You don't have to agree with them. But be humble and put other people first. And be gentle with one another. Not always easy for us to do that. Some of us are, can be a little bit harsh at times. Be humble and gentle. Be patient You're going to have to be patient in the months to come as you wait to see what the Lord has for you next. And you know what happens? Some of us aren't very patient. We're not very good at being patient, waiting to see what's going to happen. We want things to happen yesterday or at the very latest today. And we we fret. And sometimes when we're impatient, we lash out at one another. and, uh, And things get broken when we get impatient. Be patient. And then it says this, Paul says this, and again... He's thinking, I think, about the Ephesians. Bearing with one another in, in love. It's a great word, isn't it? Bearing with one another. Sometimes the, the old-fashioned word that's used is forbearance. Putting up with one another. Just take a quick look around. Try to avoid making eye contact with the people that you have to put up with. Why are you all looking at me at this point? Not for much longer. We all have to do a fair bit of forbearance with one another. If you are married to someone, some of you have the privilege of being married to another person, you have to put up with that person. It's great when you kind of fall in love and you make the decision to uh, live together, you know, we're going to get married and be together. But as time goes on and, you know, you have to put up with the kind of bodily functions that happen and the kind of jobs not getting done around the, the house people not listening very carefully to what's being said. And that's just me I'm talking about. You have to forbear one another. You have to sort of be put up, bear with one another through all those difficulties and you get to know. And, and hopefully the person that you're having to forbear is also learning how to forbear with you as well. Because you're a pain and you're difficult and you've got all your funny little habits that happen, that you do, don't you? So church is no different. We have to bear with one another. Put up with one another. Stand with one another. Hold one another up when one another is falling down. Maybe humble one another when we're getting a bit full of ourselves. Forbearance, that's going to stand us in good stead going forward. So, so be all those things. If you're going to be one and you show those things to one another, if your plan is to be one, you will be one. If every person who's a member of St. Thomas's is doing that, you will be one. So that's the challenge. What's the encouragement? Well, verses four to six, we read this, and it's a kind of doxology or a, a blessing, a focusing, a refocusing, not on the church, but on God Himself. Here's the encouragement, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's the encouragement. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is one. And when we look at the Trinity, it's not three gods, it is one God. He is one God. And the church embodies the Trinity. 
three in one in relationship with one another. That's why we are called to be one. Because we reflect the Godhead himself. We reflect who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in relationship with one another. And so that's the encouragement to us. Not only can we reflect him, the Godhead, but we are in relationship with him. It's not, we don't, we aren't going to be one because we're trying to be good. It's just who we are. If we are in God, the one God, in fellowship with him, then it will be part of our spiritual DNA that our desire is to see him lifted up and him glorified and him reflected in our common life together. And what Paul's saying is, you know something? That's who you are, people of God. Church in Ephesus, churches down through history, that's who you are. You are part of the one body of Christ. You're part of that body that exists now in West Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, in Lothian, in Scotland, in the United Kingdom, in Europe, in the world. And not only that, in heaven. You're united together in that. So don't you dare, don't you dare see yourself as anything other than that. And whatever you do, don't set yourself on a path that will break it. You see, Paul talks about what unites us, and what unites us is our convictions about who Christ is and what he has done. Our hope, our faith is our hope that lies ahead, our hope for eternity, to be with God forever. These are the things that we unite around, these great truths. And the moral kind of reflections that we, that we have from Scripture, uh, fill that in, fill that out. These are the things that we agree upon and we gather around. But the focus is always to be Christ, his uniqueness and his personhood. To realize that without him, we are nothing. And so Paul encourages and exhorts the Ephesian Christians to grasp this as best they can. And if they can grasp that, then they will make every effort to remain united. I'm about to move, we're about to move the massive distance of 90 miles to the cold north. But you know, we remain part of the one body. Even though we won't be here, we're still one together. Even if we weren't in the same church grouping, we would still remain one. Why? Because we're united in Jesus Christ. So my prayer for you at St. Thomas's is that he will enable you to be one. He will go on helping you to do that and that your desire will grow to see him elevated and you to become less as individuals. That your desire will be to see many, many people come to faith in Jesus in the years to come. When we come to the end of our time together, I'm going to read a passage from Philippians, which is again a further encouragement for us to stay the course and to be who God called us to be. May God bless you and may God bless all those who come to this place in the months and the years to come. And may they see Jesus' body is one. Let's pray.
And so, Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you that Paul could write from a place of pastoral care and concern. He wrote from a place of vulnerability and pain for himself. But he wanted your people in Ephesus and around the globe to live that life, to walk that walk that was worthy of the disciple, being called a disciple of Jesus. And we pray that for ourselves. Help us to walk the talk in the days to come. And help us to be united as we look to the future. Help us not to be diverted by what other people have to say about us as a church. Help us not to be diverted by a desire to achieve or overachieve, to be something that we're not. Unite us around the person and the work of Christ. And Lord, in the years to come, may many people come to know you because of that united vision of the person of Christ and that united concern and love for one another. So bless this church. Bless all who come here Sunday by Sunday. Bless all those who come through the doors of this building day by day. And may they see something of your glory and may they detect something special about your united church. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.